Orange is the New Black, Season 3, Episode 10, is over, and we are just getting started here on post-show recaps. It's been a very interesting trip down, I don't even know what this was for Episode 10. Uh, my name is Jessica Lees, and I am here to recap everything that happened in this very wrenching episode, um, and with me as always is my pal Taylor Cotter. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Jess? Ah, oh, this was a rough one. This was a rough one, but uh, maybe my favorite ever. Like the, I, uh, it was emotional. It was heart wrenching. It was hard to watch. All that kind of stuff. And I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. No, it was absolutely. It was well done. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe as we dig into the episode, you know, we can we'll spend some time on the really wrenching parts, and we'll also try to turn around our booty frowns, right? Yes. Yes, and I think uh, let's give uh, Taryn Manning an Emmy Award. Yeah, is, no kidding. <laughs> is uh, my number one uh, uh, goal right now. What, whatever we can do uh, today to prove that that is necessary, I am happy to do. Yeah, yeah, this was definitely Taryn Manning's Emmy episode. Yep. But boy, that was that was some really tough things to watch. Um, from the very beginning of the episode, in fact, with Pensatagi's mother telling her that, you know, now you've hit puberty and now you are a commodity. Yeah, and we kind of get some backstory into Pensatagi, and it's like, we've done some of this before. We knew kind of where she came from, what her deal was, but we didn't realize how uh, ingrained her, like, low self-worth was, and it's pretty terrible. Yeah, and it, it is something that the show does extremely well. Like, I think on a lesser program, she'd just be another meth head. Right. Or, you know, she'd just be the crazy Christian. But she has been through a lot of really interesting things that have shaped who she is. Yeah, and I like kind of how they, and they've been doing this a lot more clearly this year than maybe other years, is why people are the way that they are. And it's always super devastating to see someone who is like, clearly smart and charismatic and has so many great qualities uh kind of gets so effed over so early in life yeah yeah and then and even i think another thing that another recurring theme that we see on the show over and over is something good happens and then something bad happens that's even worse than the way things were before the good thing happened and i think I think even on the outside, this happens in the flashbacks, and this time in particular, we get to meet we get to meet Tiffany's first boyfriend, who's this guy named Nathan who moves around a lot, and mm-hmm. he's the first one to show her that you know sex is not it's just something you trade for Mountain Dew; it can be something enjoyable for everybody. Um, I called Nathan in my notes Pony Boy um, <laughs> because, <laughs> and uh, I was like, we. It took a few minutes to learn his name, so he became Pony Boy to me. And uh, like, oh my god, what a perfect man! <laughs> he was so wonderful to her, and she, yeah, she was being, you know, just not doing well. She was being a you know this towny kind of girl who uh, was. Yeah, having sex at parties and, you know, being taken advantage of. And then suddenly out of nowhere, Ponyboy comes and shows her a whole new world. Yeah, yeah. Um, And he is, yeah, he was just the best. And it was, like, very, like, sweet and sexy and amazing to watch. Like, Like, I hated to know where this was, like, I had, you know... A feeling I knew where this was going, and it uh, it was probably worse than I expected, but 
it was when it was good it was really good yeah and um, the direction i'm glad that they did not take with this i'm very very glad that they didn't make him out to be a dick just like everybody else right right and that would have been very obvious and easy to do like hey don't trust men you know but it's kind of like Hey, there are good guys out there and there are bad guys out there. And unfortunately, uh, you've met most of the bad ones. Yeah. Yeah. And the one good one gets to go to Wyoming. Yep. Yeah. Oh, stay so, gold, uh, Pony Boy. Stay gold. Oh, it's breaking my heart just thinking about it. And then uh, as soon as Pony Boy up and leaves, uh, Pensatucky gets uh, raped by her old boyfriend. Yeah, I wouldn't call that guy her boyfriend. Oh, the Mountain Dew guy? Yeah, I would call him yes. the Mountain Dew guy, and he doesn't even bring her the, the real Mountain Dew, which, yeah. you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be that way, at least, like, spring for the real stuff. Don't buy the Kmart knockoff. That, I mean, yeah, that's a... <laughs> if that guy takes one thing away from this, I think it should be that. You know, if he, if he <laughs> yeah. can't quite digest, don't rape people. Yeah, then, uh, yeah, this is... <laughs> this is uh, here's another note for you, Abe. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So we see early on that yeah, uh, Pensatucky or Doggett or, or you know the woman of many names uh, got raped really young, and uh, that has been part of who she has been the whole time that we've known her. It's also she doesn't necessarily know that she's being taken advantage of at any yeah. point. She doesn't know what's normal and what's not normal. And you see, even now when she kind of gets into this. You know, less than appropriate relationship with, you know, Charlie Bag of Donuts. Mm-hmm. It's she doesn't know if this is how it's supposed to go or not. Right. Yeah. She's her all her sense of morality is incredibly, incredibly twisted. Yeah, and she at at a certain point she thinks that she needs to trade favors, and he says, "Oh, you don't have to do that." Mm-hmm. And. Then she thinks, okay, maybe it maybe it's more like the situation I had with Nathan where I liked him and he liked me and we got along, we hung out. But it turns out it's not really like that either. No. Uh, Charlie Bag of Donuts is the worst. And he has, uh, like, I, he's obviously a horrible, horrible person. And so I, I like, don't want to dig deeper into him, but like I kind of feel like we have to because I am straight up not understanding his motivations here. Is he just a like power hungry crazy person or what? Well, I think this is kind of a correlation between sex and power kind of situation yeah. where he felt emasculated when he got in trouble for taking the van out too many times, and he manifests this frustration he feels at not. You know, at being dressed down by his superior, he manifests this as, you know, sexual frustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's always just, it's such a, like, leap for me, like, to think, like, how can someone be a rapist? But I, like, I you, I guess you, you really can feel it with this guy, that he was always very, very aggressive with her. He never understood the boundaries. He uh, couldn't have a real good relationship with her like like a professional relationship so i guess yeah unsurprising that he is very very aggressive and horrible always like kind of surprising to see someone get violently raped yeah it's not never something you want to see right and i think but i think it also illustrates that that really had nothing to do with him desiring her sexually like there's nothing desire there's nothing desire focused about this at all yeah it was entirely about power 
and entirely about like needing to feel like he's superior to someone. Right. And weirdly about punishing her, which was felt weird too. Yeah. Yeah. She got him in trouble. Yeah. Well, okay. You say he is the literal worst. Yes. Do we think he is like on the, you know, shitty person power rankings? Is he ranking above or below porn stash? Um, that, uh, you're asking me to remember a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, Portenstash did literally rape other girls in the prison, right? Yeah, he, he raped a lot of people in the prison. Yeah, all right. Then I'll, I'll put Portenstash higher than him because of quantity, but I will say that the two of them are in a tier of their own. And everyone else who I've called the worst, which is probably a lot of people, uh, is secondary. They're, you know, uh, like Good I. Good news for Larry and Piper, right? Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah, Larry, Larry is the second tier worst. So yeah, I think we got two two different shitty person scales here, mm-hmm. and it's almost like one is like total, you know, order of magnitude more, like several standard deviations off of the you know microaggression shitty person list. Exactly. Yeah, it's in it's incom- incomparable. I think that like obviously like there's rape on a lot of television shows all the time. A lot of p- people handle it in different ways. It's usually, I mean, in most shows I watch, it's very tastefully handled. I thought this was very emotional and like um, very r- real. And I hate to like use that word without like giving it it felt like i don't have a real example of something like this happening but like it felt very emotionally real and you kind of learned what like why pensatucky is kind of in this arrested child state and that how something like this could affect her and how something like how like it's hard to say like i don't like i'm trying to think that like she is a uh, like on some level, like has has had this be in her life for so long that oh, I'm I'm that tripping she over doesn't my know words. any different. Yeah, yeah, and I will say, this is something like where you draw the line and how you depict rape and what it means to a storyline. This is something that I think is coming up a lot more often with regard to television because we have so many prestige dramas that kind of incorporate it in different ways and. I want to contrast this for a second with Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And Taylor, I don't know if you... Which were... I do not watch, yeah. but I'm familiar. But this past season, we had a couple of instances where they used they used rape as a device to further the plot. In, and they framed it in a way that affects... That it really affected the development of a male character more than a female character. Like, in one particular instance they start by showing the face of the woman who is being attacked and then they pan over to a guy that's being made to watch and we get to watch his reaction to it and it becomes more about about this third party this dude than it is Mm -hmm. about the actual victim of the assault and it's something that I think Game of Thrones has done this several times they've incorporated rape into the show where it wasn't in the books and they've used it as shorthand for this person's a terrible person and here in Orange is the New Black we've gotten like not only does it paint Charlie Bag of Donuts as a terrible person but it also manages to give us more about Tiffany and more about her approach to life and her philosophy and how she thinks of herself 
and how messed up that is. And they do that more than it is about any other person. And I think that's really, really well done. Yeah, I agree. I I think you can tell that this show takes a particular eye, obviously, to the stories and struggles of women. And yeah, they made this very much about her. And that's and that's, I guess, why I even find it, like, I was kind of hesitant to, like, talk about Charlie Bagadons and be like, well, why did he do this? And it's like, it's kind of irrelevant. <laughs> like, it's... Uh, yeah, he's, because he's a shitty person. The end. Right, yeah. And it is unfortunate that things like this go on in real life so that we have to, you know, find ways to tell these stories in fiction. But it's, if you're going to do it, I'm, and this is why, kind of, like, it's... Uh, like this episode was really upsetting. Also one of my favorite episodes because I thought just the storytelling was very, very powerful in this particular instance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If we got to have it in a story, I think this is the best possible way. Mm -hmm. And this whole season we've talked about Pensatucky and her transformation, how much we used to hate her and now we love her. And now she's like, we're like let into her life and like she's endearing and she has, uh, this, you know, super compelling backstory. And this is why, like, can't fault Taryn Manning at all. Like, she is uh, selling this so hard. She's so uh, likable. And she's so, like, it's so easy to empathize with her because what she's going through is not, it's not that far outside of imagination. Yeah. It's definitely grounded in reality. And Taryn Manning is doing a spectacular job this season. She's absolutely killing it. And I also, I love any interaction between Pensatucky and Boo. Mm-hmm. Like, of the relationships on the show that need their own spinoff, I think this is this is in my top five. I love that uh, the alliances that form. Uh, uh, just because people genuinely start to care about each other. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's like... Every single episode of the show is a bottle episode. Mm-hmm. You're all kind of crammed into one space, and it makes for a lot of a lot of great interactions. And one of the great things about moving away from being a show about Piper to a show about an ensemble is you get to kind of constantly shuffle things up and put these people together and see, like, what do they have in common? How are they going to interact? How do they react to something? And it's been really fantastic to see some kind of new combinations pop up. Yeah, it's kind of like high school or college where it's like uh, people that might be kind of not your acquaintances or people that you kind of know. Like as time goes on, like you get to know these people better. They become bigger parts of your life. And it's funny to see like at the beginning and end, like who shakes out as being better friends. Yeah. I mean, to switch to switch gears a little bit, I thought another great reshuffling of the Litchfield Dynamics I really loved the scene where Suzanne is talking to Morello about her anxiety having written this dirty story and now she might actually have the opportunity to do something sexual and she has no idea what she's doing. And they have this great bonding moment and Morello is so cool about it. Yeah, it was really, really sweet. Yeah, and we still, like, we never say the name of this other inmate um, and her name is is I, I had to look this up and okay. it's it's in the it's also in the captions if you turn on the closed captioning, which I frequently do. And mm-hmm. her last name is Cucudio. Okay. <laughs> and uh, her first name is Maureen. 
I've been calling her Maureen in my notes. Um, okay, good to know. I've been calling her Random Girl. So this will be helpful. Yeah, and I found it super ironic that, you know, our introduction to Suzanne was when she gets a crush on Piper and writes Piper poetry. Yeah. It's super ironic to see yep. Suzanne now being wooed in exactly the same way. It's funny, and, like, I was thinking a lot about how Suzanne was kind of introduced to us in relation to Piper and how she was, like, kind of aggressively sexually pursuing Piper. And now we kind of find out that that is not who she is. Yeah, she would not have had any idea what to do if Piper had been at all receptive to that. Right. So I wonder if she, and I guess this makes sense, you know, she pursues people that are uh, uh, unattainable, people that she knows would never go for her. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, is writing the, uh, her stories are so crazy and they are not, uh, 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 grounded in reality on any level. Um, so it's really to her, everything is a kind of a shot in the dark, I guess. Yeah. Now this is totally NSFW, but someone out there actually commissioned an erotica writer to write a chapter of the Time Hump Chronicles. Finally. Yeah, and it is the chapter featuring the dude that's made out of Vaseline. Good. <laughs> yeah. So wait, where is this? I, I think I gotta look it up again. It, it was on it was on one of the sites that's recapping Orange is the New Black. And you know, it, it is one of those cases of the the things that are being hinted at are much better than the actual reality of having it in front of you. Oh, that's a bummer. It, it is a bummer. I felt a little disappointed, like, oh, this is actually a thing in the world now, and now I feel a little bit dirty for having read it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, if it's not going to be the best erotica ever, is it worth? was it worth it? Well, in my head, this, the erotica that Suzanne is writing is the best erotica ever. Right. Right, so when it's yeah, when it's presented to you, whoever commissioned it, I'm just like, maybe they should have yeah, spent a little more money. It's never going to be as good as it is in my head. Yes. Yeah, but although it was very nice to get a little bit of the storyline and you know feel a little bit more connected to the characters. <laughs> That's good. And Vaseline Dude, he was interesting. Um, he can shapeshift into like any configuration of appendages that Ooh. is needed for the situation. He's able to emulate Admiral Rod Cocker. <laughs> That's amazing. I can get behind that. I will read this and I will come, I will report back in a few episodes how I feel about it. Yeah, I will, I will find a link to it and we'll put it up in the, in the show notes. Right. Yeah. But you know, out in the real world, it's a little bit tougher for Suzanne and she's still not at that point where she feels like she can go through with it. Yeah. Maureen's like, meet me in the supply closet. And uh, she goes there and Susanna, she can see Suzanne through the window and then she backs away, which is so sad. It feels, it's very cute on some level. Like it's very high school, middle school. Yeah. Uh, it's, but, it's totally like something out of Degrassi. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I feel bad. I, like, I just kind of want it to happen though. I don't need the coyness. Like, let's see, let's get this rolling. I want Suzanne to be happy. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, she deserves to have a real relationship with someone, and she's been through a lot. Yes. Yeah, I feel bad. And I, I think uh, we have been uh, criminally uh, underusing Suzanne this season. 
Yeah, although I'm glad that they gave her something interesting to do. Yeah, like, the book is good, but it's just, yeah, it's not, a, this is the first time we've gotten her, like, the real, the, the real Suzanne, the core. Yeah, she seems to sort of feel like she's she's created a monster with regard to the the book. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame her. I mean, these women love Araka. <laughs> it's just gotten a little bit bigger than she ever anticipated. <laughs> yeah, I, this definitely has Stephanie Myers probably felt. Yeah, yeah, and E.L. James. Yes, yes. I, I like that they throw a lot of shade at uh, Fifty Shades. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame them. Yeah, yeah. And so another person that I want to see happy and in a relationship is Morello. This was the best part of the episode. And I know that we should not be cheering for Christopher to go through anymore because he went through a lot of really terrible things. Mm-hmm. And even though he was kind of a dick about it, like, he was being stalked. Yep. But, oh man, I was so excited when they pulled yeah. up to his house and started beating the crap out of him. Yeah, I think I audibly cheered when this happened. This was my favorite storyline of last season. I love Morello. Uh, I think she is, like, to have, like, the mo- like an endearing, crazy person to me is in life and in fiction, the best kind of person. (laughs) And uh, they, uh, like, it's so, so, so wonderful to watch. And I loved this so much. So uh, we know that Lorna's uh, been uh, collecting boyfriends and uh, she finally meets a good one named Vinny, um, or she calls him Vinny. And uh, this guy, uh, he is, you know, just a classic kind of uh, Italian guy, I guess, right? <laughs> you were going to go with a different word, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was trying, well, honestly, I was thinking Boston, but because I, I know Morello is supposed to be from Boston, and I don't know if this guy was from Boston. Let's say, yeah, he's a real Rodney type, and uh, he, um, yeah, he, uh, like a lot of uh, these kinds of people, <laughs> will uh, do any, you know, really care about their girlfriends and will do anything for them, including beat up whoever you want them to beat up. Yeah, I hope she gets him something nice for his damn birthday. Yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I'm glad she's kind of picking a favorite, I think. Yeah, he and, seems really nice. And I liked the first appearance of him where she was really finally honest with somebody. Mm-hmm. And they had a real conversation, realized they don't have anything superficially in common, but they really are both kind of the same kind of crazy. Yes. And I, I'm just happy to see her finally rebounding from Christopher and so, with someone that seems to like her back. Yeah, really sweet. And Christopher, yeah, I, to me, Christopher is really funny because you're right. He never did anything wrong. Like, he truly, 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 like, handled every situation in the best possible way and is continuing to uh, be uh, the object of her wrath, which I kind of love. Yeah, yeah. And maybe maybe it's a little bit safer because she's in prison and she can only lash out at him by proxy. Maybe this is the closure that she needs. Like, we maybe that's the last we're ever going to hear about Christopher. I think you're right. Series wrap on Christopher. I guess I'm cheering for that, too. Yes. Like, we don't ever need to see him again. He's gotten maybe not what he deserves, but <laughs> what was needed to close the book on him. Yes. Yeah. So, where we want to go next... Uh, Daya, porn stash. Yeah, we baby. can go to Daya and porn stash, I guess. <laughs> I thought we were done with this when Daya 
when Dio was like, it's not his baby. You've been real nice to me. I can't lie to you. Yep. No, we have to continue to stretch this one out. Yeah, and Porn Stash doesn't even have the stash anymore. Come on, it's time to write him out of the show. Yeah, well, I think they were lucky to get him back for even, you know, a five-minute spot in this episode because that guy is taking off. And uh, But, yeah, they could have glued a mustache on him. Yeah, it's not it's not difficult. Although I I did appreciate he's he's rocking a pretty sweet mullet these days. Yep, he looks yeah he looks exactly how you would expect him to look after spending a few months away. Right down to the crying. Yes. So, uh, uh what like for who I top on my shitty person power rankings? Like what a character! Like what an insane person! Uh, and ha- is just you know very very emotionally connected to Diet and the baby. Yeah, and you would think in a show where we've had a lot of terrible people do a total 180 and become extremely sympathetic characters, I really feel like I should feel sorrier for him than I do, but I really don't. No, no. The I feel sorry for his mom because it does seem like she, you know, is a good person and she's trying really hard, but uh no, he is definitely out of control. Yeah, he's still he's still really awful. And I guess good for him for thinking that he's going to make a change and that fatherhood will make him a better man. But I still, he's got a long way to go before he's so much better that he's good. Yes. And uh, so Mama Pornstash still wants to adopt the baby, even though she knows it's not Pornstash's. Yeah. And Daya is going along with that because she knows that that's the best possible life for the baby, which in a way is kind of depressing. That's true. And like, oh, this has been so stretched out. Like I was invested in this storyline at the beginning and thought it was interesting. And now I'm just like, why did we spend five episodes of Dio like, you know, hemming and hawing about what she should do with the baby? And now it's like, oh, well, she's definitely going to give it up no matter what. And it didn't matter. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can't really cheer for her to not give up the baby. No, I agree. I just was like, if you were going to come to this decision, I, you, like, then, I don't know. You could come to it earlier, Daya. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, part of the problem I, is how malleable Daya is. Right. It's like, she's just going to go along with whatever's in front of her at the, at the time because she doesn't like making waves. Yeah, and I think, like, she ultimately made, you know, the decision for her conscience to tell her that she couldn't uh, give her the baby because it wasn't porn stashes and uh, felt there were really no consequences for that happening, I guess, is what I'm, like, kind of frustrated about. But whatever. I mean, I have no strong feelings towards the storyline either way. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, you know, that baby's not out yet. That's all I'm saying. True. Yeah, that's what, and it's like, oh, this could go back and forth a million We got a few more episodes for it to cook. I think it's gotta come out by the end of the season. Yes, I I think so. Like that, she's not, she can't get much bigger. Yeah, and I think they make a point to say that she's like eight or nine months pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's like thrilling season finale material. She's gonna go into labor and have the baby, and then we'll get whatever conclusion we're going to get out of it. She'll get stuck in an elevator or something. Yeah. And it'll be. The hijinks will ensue. Yeah. Um, who is the, who is the most humorous prospect to deliver Daya's baby? 
Oh, they're <laughs> oh, uh, maybe so so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that would be my choice if we had to get if I had to deliver that baby in an elevator with so so. I I'll I will be very excited for I'll be back on the dia train. Yeah, yeah. Although O'Neill would be pretty good too. That would be a good one. And that that like knowing O'Neill like and his kind of just tendency to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, th- that might be a good move for him. Yeah. O'Neill or Lushek would be pretty good too. Mhm. Yeah. Those- and out in the inmates, I think yeah, I think I think you can't do better than so so. Yeah, they're I mean they're like Boo would be funny, yeah. uh Tasty would be funny, but uh so so is one of my faves. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely so so is not having a rough ha- not having a very good time these days either, so it'd be nice to give her something positive to look at. Yeah, give her a sense of purpose. Yeah. She's really she got kicked out of the cult of Norma and she's really kind of floundering here. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Cult of Norma, there's a lot of infighting these days. Yeah, things are not going great. No. And I I like that Soso is aware that her depression is mostly situational and that antidepressants are not going to help her with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very self-aware. Yeah. Um, but... There's not really a good solution to this because, like she said, you know, it doesn't matter if Birdie is nice to her because it's like having lunch with the teacher. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think that uh, it's sad to see her have no friends. I don't know where she kind of goes from here. It's uh, hard to be in that situation. So at least, yeah, at least Birdie's being nice to her. She doesn't have to deal with Healy. Yeah, and Soso has also made the point that, like, a lot of people gravitate toward their ethnic groups. And who does Soso have? She has Chang. Chang, yep. And Chang's pretty cool, but, you know, you don't want to hang out with her 24-7. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you could put it that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they don't have a ton in common. No, not really. Um, although, I would totally want to hang out in Chang's shed and eat oranges and watch Chinese soap operas. That seems yeah. like it'd be pretty awesome. If uh, if Sosa knew about that, she would flip out. Yeah, she'd be into it. Yeah. Yeah. So elsewhere in the cult of Norma, um, Pusey is enjoying the calm that she's getting from being around Norma. And it seems like they're kind of ironing out the rules of what it means to be part of the movement. And this is kind of creating a little bit of a rift between Pusey and Tasty, who are still the best duo of the entire series. Yes. I. They are, like... It's like they're almost a like uh, an OTP, <laughs> like I guess. Like uh, you, you, everyone wants you want them to win. It's an OTPP, and the extra P is for platonic. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, is that a real thing? Um, I just made it up just now, but I'm sure I'm not the first person to think of it. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, that's a really great uh, fanfic thing. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's probably. There's also probably a better term for it, but that's what I'm going with, the OTPP. And it's really kind of sad to see Tasty being perpetually unable to give Pusey the kind of companionship that she needs. And Pusey is looking for it elsewhere and kind of branching out. And one thing I will say for the cult of Norma is that it's very multicultural. 
Like there's a couple of things that are bringing people together that kind of spanning, spanning the color bar um, this season. And Norma is one of them. And Suzanne's story is one of them, curiously enough. And I think that's interesting that the shared experience has become something that kind of transcends these little cliques that people have gotten into. Yeah, it's kind of like, I like that a lot. And it's in, in like, if you think of this as a high school drama, like that kind of the overarching events that unite all the different factions in a, like a common goal kind of way. And I, yeah, I definitely like that. And I like, I think we can only, there's always going to be kind of that family aspect to the people of the different ethnic groups that we will get their stories and their drama. But I think a lot of the uh, interesting stuff comes out of when they are interacting with one another. Yeah. Yeah. And of course we throw together Gloria and Sophia in this season. That's the entire season has been kind of building up to this really terrible thing that happens when it finally comes to a head. Yeah, um, this is terrible, and I think that uh, we get a lot, we've seen a lot of Sophia's son, uh, his life falling apart, Sophia blames uh, Gloria's son, Gloria blames Sophia and Sophia's son, and they are just, uh, they are, I think so much of this has to do with the fact that they are so isolated from what's actually going on, and having such a heightened emotional reaction because they have so little information that uh, they uh, take it out on one another. Yeah, and they were finding some common ground for a while, and now it's just kind of like every little thing makes the situation worse. And, you know, culminating with Sophia just giving Gloria a little shove, and it ends up going way out of proportion, and the situation has escalated beyond repair at this point, I think. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. It looks like Gloria gets really hurt, um, and uh, it kind of gives people a reason to dislike Sophia, which is not something that she really needs. No, no, and she used to be, like, you never saw, she doesn't have a BFF like a lot of people do in the prison, right. but she had some great relationships, like, she and Sister Ingalls had a great dynamic, and mm-hmm. you always saw, like, people would come into the to the beauty shop, and she would... You know, she talked to just about everybody. Right, yeah. Everyone kind of liked her. And, she, yeah, she was never involved directly in any big storylines, if I'm remembering correctly. But uh, was definitely a great, like, mentor to the community. Yeah. Uh, so I, um, and I think kind of that Sophia, in, I mean, I do, and probably everyone there does, like, forgets that, you know, she has the strength of, like, a 6'5 man. And uh, that shoving Gloria was probably a lot more violent than uh, it it may have needed to be. Yeah, and I think Laverne Cox is an amazing actress because I think you see in that moment, like, the switch flips from frustrated to legitimately remorseful and realizing there's absolutely nothing that she can do in the situation. Right. And Sophia is not a bad person. I just think that uh, when you kind of put these uh, people in situations where they're so far away from their family and uh, can have so little control on their lives that they uh, react really emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think this storyline is going anywhere good. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's not over, and it's going to get a lot worse. Yes. Yeah. 
so we had a lot of little tiny moments that I really loved um, this episode. Like, I love Black Cindy finding the only actual Jew in the prison. Yes. <laughs> and they're having a great conversation. She seems pretty serious about this new enterprise. I think she really wants the broccoli. Yeah, and, I don't blame her. <laughs> yeah, and Red's finding a way around that, too, because she's got Frida pulling stuff in from the garden, and I love her line about how food can make you feel like a person. Yeah, it's very, like, uh, food is very, like, symbolic of, like, community and communion and all that kind of stuff. So I, Red is, like, she's, yeah, she's just, like, this wonderful, like, mom. And, like, they've always called her the mom of the community. So it's kind of fitting that, like, she is bringing everyone together through food. Yeah, and it made me really crave ratatouille. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and not surprising that uh, those girls start talking about the ratatouille film. Yes. <laughs> yes, and, you know, the longer digression into um, famous mice of the cartoon world. Yes. Yeah. And the other tiny thing, we got a very little bit of HR drama here, where a lot of the staff is reacting to having their hours cut and finding out they're no longer in a union. And you see Lushek totally not caring because he's got that sweet, sweet heroin money. Yep. This is... Uh, HR drama, like, at least it's a, only a little bit, but uh, unionizing is the most boring thing of all time. I think, like, in, uh, in general, <laughs> like, I think that uh, in life, very important. I am a big fan. <laughs> Care a lot about it. Uh, it's one of those things we talked about a few weeks ago that uh, seeing uh, sometimes real-life drama play out on TV is not interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, I was a member of a union for about two years. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, union meetings are the absolute worst. Yep. Like, they are incredibly dry, and there's almost nothing useful that people walk away with. And I understand the importance of having them, especially in particular industries, but uh, I'm glad that I'm not in one now, and I don't have to go through all of that meeting red tape. Well, lucky you get to you get to watch it played out right on your own TV. Yep, and remind me of what I'm missing. Yeah. Um, one other thing from this episode that I am confused about slash don't care for <laughs> is, <laughs> if I'm right about it, is that Lolly is not the mole. <laughs> Lolly is not Anderson Cooper. No. She's just crazy. It, and is that true, or was she just saying, oh, I'm just crazy? Yeah, I really felt like Alex was going to turn right back around and say, which is exactly what the mole would say. Right, exactly. That's how I felt. Um, and that's no fun to hear. She's just being crazy. And uh, But I guess it makes more sense than her being the mole. But I thought they were really heavy-handed with trying to tell us that she was the mole. Yeah, like maybe it's too heavy-handed. Like maybe it's just really obvious. Um like it was such it was so obvious it had to be a red herring. Ah, uh, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, although, you know, we still haven't ruled out that Stella could be the mole. That's true. And uh Stella and Piper are making out all the time now. Yeah. <laughs> of course they are. I, I did like the contrast when she says a person shouldn't do something out of obligation. I thought that was an interesting contrast with what was going on with Pensatucky. Yeah, that's that is interesting. Yeah, but yeah, think about that. Yeah, the Piper storyline continues to not be interesting. Yep, just it's it's and I said this uh, a couple episodes ago too that like it just feels so like 
uh, gratuitous and uh, like I don't know. It's like hot, hot lesbian makeouts. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, you know how I feel about about Stella in general that she mm-hmm. is Mary Sue. Yep, and I think that uh, yeah. And if it if there was something interesting behind it, then I would be all in. But there isn't, and there's not. Well, what I mean, would that interesting thing be? Would it be that she's the mole? Oh, maybe. Like that wouldn't hurt. Like it's still just exacerbating the storyline that I don't care for, but I that would be something. Like I, I, I would care if like we knew and like this is Mary Sue. Like if we knew anything about her or why she was there or who she was or why she cares about Piper. You know, any like any information whatsoever to give this story any stakes besides just making out. Yeah. Although the one thing I did like about Ruby Rose is recently photos surfaced of her next to Justin Bieber. Mm-hmm. And you really do have to look to figure out which one of them is which. That's funny. I Yeah. And I think Ruby Rose is kind of cool and I want her to have more to do. Yeah. She deserved much better than this role that was written for her. Yeah. It just, it just feels like someone's like, we need someone who's hotter than Alex because for some reason I, I want to project myself onto you know, Piper's love interest, and I don't think Piper and Alex should be together, so I'm going to write this hot lesbian in. And, yeah, it it was just, it's too much, and I'm done with it. Could this, could the entirety of the Ruby Rose character, and, like, have just been Poussey? Like, wouldn't that have been interesting? That would have been very interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I could see... I don't know that I could see Poussey, like, she and Piper, have they interacted at all? I don't know. I don't, not in any sort of micro way. And to me, it's like, okay, you want, like, a cool lesbian to distract Piper from Alex. Like, you have that right here. And who has been, again, underused this season. And uh, it would be really, really, like, someone who... Piper could very well be attracted to, you know? And someone who we already know and we're already invested in. Right. And who's, like, searching for a girlfriend and a purpose. (laughs) Like, to me, like, that, like, writes itself a little bit. So I don't know. uh... I think it's less likely because I think if Piper was single and adrift, I think that is more likely a scenario to put them together. Mm -hmm. But Piper right now is pretty pleased with herself. Yes. Yes. She's not searching for meaning. That's so true. I'm not sure it's it makes sense with Piper as she is now, but if they took her down a different path, like if they couldn't get Laura Prepon back or if they wanted to take Piper down a different path, then it might make sense. But right now I think she her stock is up and Poussey's stock is down and there's not really any middle ground there. Yeah. I don't know if it would have worked out perfectly, but it would have been more interesting than this. Yeah, and Samira yeah. Wiley has definitely threatened as many straight women's sexuality as Ruby Rose has. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, I don't know. I was, I think I thought that because, um, did you read, uh, the, like, it came out maybe a, less than a year ago that Lauren Morelli, who is one of the writers on the show, like, was married to a man and then started dating Samir, uh, Yeah, I did know that. Yeah, and, uh, she wrote this episode. So I was like, it's weird to have, like, what I think of as, like, this kind of gratuitous male gaze Piper thing 
with someone who, like, I would think would be particularly, A, in tune to that, and then B, like, you know, like, you would think would have some bias towards uh, Samira. Uh, Samira. Yeah, maybe. But <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I won't get in anyone else's head here. <laughs> well, this was definitely the best written episode of the season so far. Definitely. And I think, I think that's testament to her talents. Like, she's able to write something that furthers the plot, but is also a deep dive into a character that's not necessarily the one played by the actress that she is with. True, true. So that's very professional. That is good. And yeah, this was such a great episode. Um, and honestly, like I, there's not, I, a lot of this season, I feel like I would need to go back and rewatch or want to go back and rewatch, but this episode was so powerful that I probably will give it a second look. Yeah, I do. And I don't, you know, I, there's, like it, I don't yeah. want to watch that again, but it was so well done that I can't help but respect the artistry behind it. Yeah, exactly. And I watch like so much smut. That's probably the reason. Like I watch like Lawn or SVU and all these Lifetime movies and stuff that like when something like this actually like affects me, I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, I, I should be more dis- uh you know, have more discretion with what I consume <laughs> in media because a lot of it is trash. Yeah, you might want to back down from the prurient interest for a while. <laughs> There's one more thing that I'm very disappointed about, but I think it's interesting how it tracks with, this is one of the other very few things have been pulled directly out of the book, Orange is the New Black, and put onto the show. And this is one of them. And I didn't know that this was the direction they were going to take it in. But Judy King not coming to Litchfield. That, like, that must have just been a real Easter egg they put in for people that have read the book. Uh, Because it, like, it was interesting. It was cute. But, like, yeah, it really sounded like they were going to put her in this prison and she was going to uh, be a character on the show, and that did not happen. Nope, and that is pretty much exactly what happened in the book. Yeah. They were waiting and waiting. They thought Martha was going to be coming there, and then she ended up going to Virginia. So. Yeah, that's so funny. So, yeah, definitely a shout-out to people that were waiting for that to come from the book to the show. Yeah, and anybody that was going to be potential like Judy King, who say shippers, you know, your ship sailed, you can't go there. Um, yep. Disappointing. I wanted to see the two of them do arts and crafts together and, like, come up with the perfect commissary snack to pair with Hooch. That would have been so great. And I think that, like, I, I, we did already get a lot of, like, dominance of the kitchen drama. but So uh, that would have been uh, maybe a little redundant, but... Uh, it would have been it would have been funny. Yeah, because sure. I think Red has even literally said she is not a Judy King fan. Yeah, she puts the you know she puts heavy cream in her carbonara. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's sacrilege. So you know maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, I definitely think it's a good thing. It would have felt a little uh, gimmicky, little jumping the shark to be that direct of a parody kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I guess. We are, we've pretty much covered everything that needs to be covered in this episode, I think. Um, so I think props to the Orange the New Black writing staff and to every actor that appeared in this episode because I think it really they've upped their game. Yeah, I feel a lot better about this season after seeing this episode. Yeah, there, it proves that there's also a lot more interesting directions to go. And they don't have to reinvent the wheel and bring in all these brand new characters. And if they do, they can use them sparingly. 
Like, yeah. I don't mind Maureen. I think she's an okay addition because she's not, they're not making it the Maureen show. Like we're not having a Maureen flashback shoved down our throats. Right. Right. Uh, I agreed with that. And I also, uh, I think it's, they have so many great characters already that we don't know nearly enough about. And that's what this episode kind of showed us. It proves like we've already seen Pensatucky flashbacks, but we still have a lot to learn about her and a lot to learn about everybody. Very much so. All right. So we want to thank everybody who's been tuning in to all of our season three coverage so far and remind you that you can find us in the iTunes store and we are under the giant post show recaps umbrella and we're also on our own feed. And if you like us, we would love to hear comments. We would love to hear reviews. It helps us out if you write a little review in the iTunes store and give us a rating. And if you've got feedback for us, you can give that to us on Post Show Recaps. Find the episode page. Leave us a comment there. And we're pretty good about reading and responding to them. And we can also, of course, be reached on Twitter at any time. Uh, Taylor, where are you on Twitter? Uh, my Twitter username is Taylor Cotter. And I am Haymaker Hattie on Twitter. And feel free to tweet to both of us with all of your Orange is the New Black questions because by the time you are hearing this, we will have seen the entire series and we'll be able to comment on just about anything. Plenty of other great things going on in the post-show recaps universe. You should definitely stop by the website, check it out, or just subscribe to the main feed and get all the stuff, even the stuff you don't watch. It's good listen. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you for episode 11. See ya. The animals, the animals, trap, trap, trap till the cages fall. The cages fall, the day is new, and everyone is waiting, waiting on you and you.